listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael speaks on how we should live a life of giving during the second week of our Thanksgiving series. amazing that was amazing sell tickets to the offering prelude it's amazing (laughs) go on the road with that that's amazing Uh, good to see you guys this morning still this morning for two more minutes then it'll be this afternoon. It's good to see you this morning. Um, we missed one little announcement, probably because it's so little, um, but not so little. This is my this is my little uh, little announcement that we forgot right here. Put up my little announcement that we forgot. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? This is Elliot Theodore. Elliot Theodore Atkinson. And so Andrew and Jocelyn's little boy, not so little, almost 10 pounds. And uh, so, but born this week, mom and dad are doing great. Why do we always say that? I mean, dad's... Of course he's doing great. Of course he's doing great. He's like, thank you, God. It's not me. Thank you, God. It wasn't me. Thank you, God. Uh, Mommy and baby are doing great. No, dad is, I'm sure, exhausted from being such a good dad and husband. But he's doing well as well. So, welcome, Elliot Theodore. We love you. And I want to, uh, people ask me, you never show us anything about the trips. So I just got back from Peru. That's where I was this past weekend. So I'm going to show you some pictures and just tell you about it. My favorite trip so far, amazing ministry opportunities. This is where we were Sunday morning. And uh, there was like 200 people and they just line up in like perfect lines when I said come for prayer. 200 people just in lines and I had to just go back and forth up and down the lines. We prayed for all 200 people and uh, it took forever. It was just a glorious, glorious time though. And so that young lady beside me is the only other person that spoke English and she was the tran- interpreter. I always say translator, same. But anyways, we had a good time and I want to tell you, it's from this house, and we're being sent from here, and I had lunch with these pastors. There's three pastors of this church. It's like six flags over Lima. I mean, this church is massive, and um, they told me at lunch that what we shared this day, they feel has transformed their church forever, like it's going to shift the entire um, 
direction, trajectory of their church. This is the outdoor crusade, the evangelistic crusade. That's a stage way in the back, just thousands of people. This um, was amazing. The first night, they had prepared a room, a place up front, like altar space for people to come up and respond for salvation. And as people kept coming, we just had to push the people, keep pushing the people back. And it really looked like it shifted, like the crowd shifted and there were more people up front than there were in the back, just coming up for salvation. So Steve Fado, just honor him. As Pablo standing beside him. Pablo is, was our translator, uh, interpreter. He came, uh, he, he, he's from the Amazon jungles in Peru. Him and his father have planted over 400 churches. And uh, just a powerful man, tender man. Keep going. Uh, this is Pastor Mario. I spent the day on Saturday with him. We preached four times on Saturday. This is one of the places we preached, just right out on the streets um, in Lima. And he does this all the time, just rolls his little battery-operated speaker out and has church. You can keep going. He was very hard to keep up with. He was so wide open. This is him. This is another outdoor service. The only difference is this is not just evangelistic street ministry. This is a church. He has 20 moms who are from the streets. Uh, some of them were in prostitution, drug, all these drug addiction. And so he has service with them. He pastors them every week. And that's where they have churches right on the street. And there's more than this, but they had a little spat before we got there this day. And so there were only two there. And he literally went to their houses and got more of them. But um, that's what he's dealing with every week. But he just goes faithfully. No one told him he's not preaching to thousands and he's not on a stage. He, he gives it everything that he has. And it was incredibly inspiring um, to just see that perspective and keep going. I realize I'm a giant there. Um, <laughs> and every picture, it's wild. But this is that church again, full glory. Such a powerful church. Um, this is another service we had. I think this was Sunday night. Uh, myself and Pastor Larry um, from, he's up in Illinois. We went and preached at this gathering on Sunday night. You can keep going. This is another thing with Pastor Mario. He also teaches uh, 20, 30 students at a Bible college, and they're doing ministry training. And so we went and ministered to them one day. I mean, the same day, one of the times of that day. Um, we can keep going slowly. This is the ladies again. He feeds them and ministers to them twice a week, has service with them on the street. And uh, this is me street preaching. I had to grab it from Facebook because I don't, he didn't know what, nobody was there to take a picture of me. But, um, or it was a video, I should say, so. This is more of those kids, and we're probably about done. This is the pastor's conference, and so we got to minister to uh, all the pastors, not all the pastors, but a lot of the pastors there in Lima. This is Pablo again, um, and I just like everything you do, he does. I mean, he is so anointed to interpret, and so every inflection of your voice, every mannerism, everything you do, he was so powerful, 
and uh, such a humble man. This is some of the pastors there at that congregation that we met with. And is that it? Amen. That's it. So that's Peru. In a nutshell, you've seen it all now. Peru. I want to jump in today. Jahan started last week with uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, we kind of purposed in our heart last year in November to take some time every year. Probably in the first 10 years, we never really designated uh, time or even talked very intently on giving. And so we started that last year. And so we um, are going to pick that up again this year. And she started it last week, did a phenomenal job. And I want to pick up today. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Very familiar passage. Um, Most of you have either read this story or heard this story. If we start in verse 11, um, most of your Bibles will probably title this the prodigal son, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, I really think it's a story of the loving father more than it is about the son. Uh, So, but either way, we will look at this today starting in verse 11. Oh, this is so sad right now. It's okay. Oh, I'm probably making it worse. I'm probably embarrassing her and making it worse. Okay, come back. Look, see, she's like, now I'm going to stop crying. You get me away from that guy. Um, Verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carobs, the carob uh, pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here from hunger? I will set out and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. Verse 20. So he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I love the Passion Translation. It says that the son starts this sentence and then it's just like dot, dot, because the father interrupts. 
and says, you're my son, you're home, instead of letting him finish saying he's not worthy to be called a son. Verse 22, but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found, and they begin to celebrate. Now his older, verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has slaughtered the fatted, fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends." Isn't that just ridiculous? But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fat. That's a hard word to say, slaughtered. Slaughter. Slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Such a powerful story. I want us to maybe, uh, I'm praying that we gain new spiritual insight, revelation to um, this thanksgiving of sons, how sons give thanks, how daughters give thanks. And I want us to look at this today. We'll come back to Luke 15 in just a moment, but I want us to jump over to Mark chapter five. And uh, Mark chapter five is a story of Jesus going over to the land of the Gerasenes and when he gets there, he discovers a man who is possessed by devils and he is in the tombs. He lives in the tombs and he's just out of his mind. He cuts himself, leaps around, just wild. He's naked. And it says that they could not even chain him or shackle him because he would break the chains. And it says that no one was strong enough to subdue him. And to just summarize for sake of time, Jesus has an encounter with this man, approaches this man, and casts the devils out of this man, makes them leave him. There's a herd of pigs close by. These demons ask permission to go into these pigs. And Jesus had already asked the name of the demons, and he said, we are legion, for we are many. 
and we see that 2,000 pigs, once Jesus gave them permit, the demons permission to go into the pigs, these pigs run into the water and commit suicide. So we know that there's at least 2,000 of the demons because the, there were 2,000 pigs and they all got one. It's a lot. And just one other thing, when these demons go into these pigs, what is their first response? They go into the water and kill themselves. It just shows you what the purposes of hell are, steal, kill, and destroy. As soon as these demons enter these pigs, they go straight into the water. What were they doing when they were in the man? He was cutting himself. He was living crazy. He was separated from his family. He had nothing and nobody. It's their purpose. It's their intention. God's plans for us are for us to prosper and be in good health. The enemy's plans for us are to be in lack, in pain, in suffering, empty, and broken. But when the people hear about what happened, because these guys that on the pigs were freaking out, and they go into the town, and they tell everybody. It's crazy. It says they go into the city, and they go into the country. That means it's everybody, right? They go into the city, and they go into the country. They tell everybody, and everybody comes to see what has happened. Um, let me get a seat. I didn't get a seat in the first service, but I'm going to take a little, my, take my time. Let me make a public announcement. This is a... Um, what are the public announcements? P, what? PSA, public service announcement. This is, a, this, is my, this is my final decision. We've never put an ending time on services, but you have to when you have two services. I mean, you have to have a target. So um, our first service is from 9 until 10.30. Before we started two services, we went from 10.30 to 12.30. And so to have two services, we cut it down to an hour and a half instead of two hours. And we have to do that so that we can have a second service, but we don't have to do that at 11. <laughs> so we're not extending the service, we're just keeping it the same as it has been. So I'm not even sweating till one o'clock, y'all, okay? It's <laughs> telling you, one o'clock is two hours, okay? It says when they came, uh, to where Jesus was, the whole town, they found the man who had been possessed by demons who no one could subdue, shackles, chains, nothing. They found him, in your Bible, the story says, they found him seated, clothed, and in his right mind. Seated, clothed, and in his right mind. And I'm thinking of this story, and, and the Lord has forever linked these two passages together for me now. Luke 15 and Mark 5, they're, 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 they're married to me now. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this. They, they found him seated, clothed, and in his right mind. And, and, and I'm just, I don't know if anybody else is a real practical thinker, but I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, this doesn't seem like that should be the order in which God does a miracle, you know? I mean, seated, clothed in his right mind. So I started thinking, why is it listed seated, clothed, and in his right mind? Because, look, there's a saying, everyone puts their pants on the same way. 
one leg at a time, right? Unless you're really cool and you're one of those, like, you, you hang them and you jump and you land on them. Now, so I guess some of you may do that, like somersault into your pants. That's cool. Um, but here's one thing that I think is universal. Everyone must get their bottom off of a chair to put your pants on. Okay? Your bottom cannot be seated while you put pants on. That is impossible. So no matter how you do it, you have to have some clearance for your pants to go. So I'm thinking like, so he can't be seated and then clothed. That doesn't make sense, right? Because how would he put his pants on? And so he has to be clothed and then seated. And I'm thinking, well, how could he be clothed if he's not in his right mind? Because if he broke chains and shackles when they tried to put them on them, how about a nice dress shirt? You know, he's going to be looking like Hulk Hogan. But like, you're not going to dress someone that's not in their right mind. So how could that be last? And how could he be seated, you know, and dressed and clothed? So I'm thinking about it. And, and, and like, if I'm looking right now to the back of this room, I can tell that everybody on that back row is seated, but I can't tell what everybody's wearing. So as I'm approaching, I can see posture and position before I can see details of what they're wearing. So when it says the people found him, this is not a theological, you know, discovery. This is just what people saw. And so the first thing as they're approaching, they can tell, hey, there's a person that's sitting in a chair, not running around doing crazy stuff. He's not, that person is not screaming and yelling and cutting themselves and being wild. I see a person seated. I wonder if that's the guy who used to run around and scream and do all that. So I could see his behavior before I could tell what he's wearing. And so they can see his behavior. And as they get closer, they can say, oh, it's getting better. He's clothed. He's got clothes on. He's, you know, it's a nice shirt. It's whatever. And then as they get closer, they're afraid of him, but he's not afraid of them now. And as they get closer, can you just see They've seen that he's seated. They see that he's clothed. As they approach, he's like, hey, how are you guys doing today? Isn't this a pretty day? Isn't the sun wonderful? Can you hear the birds chirping? Look, this is great. It's a lovely day. And he just starts talking to them, and they realize, man, he's in his right mind. And so we can see external behavior before we can tell identity and position of a heart. And before that, I mean, as we get closer, we can tell what's really going on inside of somebody's mind. But look at this. Here's what we do a lot of times. We want people to sit down first. Stop running around in the tombs. If you'll stop running around the tombs, then we'll clothe you. And you can be a son of God. 
And if you're a son of God, then we'll work on uh, the Holy Spirit changing the way that you think. But this prodigal son, when we realized that he could not have sat down first, then clothed, then changed his mind, he had to be in his right mind, clothed, and sit down. Let's apply this to the prodigal son. He's in the pig pen, he's feeding the pigs, and it says he came to his senses. First thing, he came to his senses. And he said, this is no life. This is horrible. You know, even my father's servants have a better life than this. So he came to the, this, his senses about the depravity of his situation and realized that there was a better situation in his father's house. Now, he wasn't completely healed or completely whole. He was just drawn by the Spirit of God. No man comes to the Father unless he's drawn by the Spirit. The Holy, you didn't come up with a good idea one day and say, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit gave you a good idea that where you are stinks and with him is better, and you came to him. Now, on your way to him, you may have still been thinking because of the culture of the church, man, I need to go and start doing a lot of things different. I need to start going to church. I need to start reading my Bible. I need to stop cussing, smoking, drinking, and listening to rock and roll music. Whatever. You know, there's this whole list of things that I need to stop doing, and God, I'll stop doing all these things and start doing all these right things if you'll let me come into your house. I'll become a slave if you'll let me come into your house. I'll follow all the rules. I'll wear the Christian t-shirts. I'll put a bumper sticker on my car. I'll even carry a Bible to school or to work if you'll just let me come in to your house. I'll be a slave like all these other jokers I see around me that are slaves and just following religious duty. And so he's on his way to meet his father and he's like, I'm gonna go and be a slave. I don't wanna stay where I'm at. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The mercy of God is God's refusal to leave us where we are. It's the mercy of God that you realize this pig pen stinks. It's also the mercy of God that when you spend all of your money, he'll send a famine. It says when he sent all his money, a famine came in the land. And the famine is what put him in a pig pen, which what made him come to his senses and he wanted to come back home. God will remove fulfillment from your broken situation so that you don't find comfort in it and want to stay there the rest of your life. So a famine came. He's ready to go. He comes to his senses. This is not a good life. And he's going home, but he's going home planning to become a slave. And it says, while he was still a ways off, his father saw him, moved with compassion, ran to him, embraced him. He's trying to tell him, I'm gonna be your slave. Shut up. My son is home. He kisses him. He hugs him. He says, go get my robe, my best robe. My robe. And put it on him. Cover him. The songs we were singing today were just preaching the sermon clothed in his righteousness alone. Yeah. He puts his name on us 
and he covers all of the trappings of the pig pen, all of the nasty clothes. He's like, come on, you're thinking wrong. You're thinking you're going to be a slave because probably because you smell that poop, but I'm going to cover you and you're going to forget about all that slave mentality and you're going to realize you're a son. And he says, get a ring and put it on his head. And I've told you guys before, a ring was not just a pretty piece of jewelry, a ring would have a signet on it, a family crest, and it would be how you buy and sell. It would be like a credit card. It's like a blank check. And he says, here's my robe. Everywhere you go, people will know you're a son or you're a daughter. They'll never see you as a slave. They'll never see you as one that just is a hired worker. And then here's my ring. And this is all authority that I have, you have. You can buy, you can sell, you can bind, you can loose. You have all authority. You're a son or you're a daughter. Come in to the house. Let's party. And he comes into the house. And here's where I want to address. Now you sit down. After all of that, you change your behavior. Because your behavior changes because now you're a son. You're a daughter and there's gratitude that is flowing out of you that compels you. It makes you say like Romans 12, 1, what other reasonable, what, what is another reasonable response than to offer my entire life? Lay my life down. What other reasonable response is there? After I messed up, I took it, you know, This story of the prodigal son is really not about money. Because the point is, we see when the father addresses the older brother, he says, you have everything I have is yours. So what's the point in saying, give me all my inheritance right now? So it's, it's not about the sum of money. You had all the money. Now you just want half of the money. We'd rather have half of the money that we can do whatever we want to with it than all the money that still belongs to the Father. Pretty much just saying, I'll take less as long as I don't have to talk to you about how I spend it. I just want freedom. I just, pretty much what they're saying, what he's saying, the, the younger son is just pretty much saying, I want everything you have for me. I want what is due me. I want what you want to give me. I want the gifts. I want life. I want breath. I want you to fearfully and wonderfully make me. I want you to put things inside of me. I want you to be every, my entire existence. I want you to give it to me. Then I want to take my breath. I want to take my life. I want to take my existence and I want to do whatever I want to with it. And I don't want you to tell me anything. And then we waste our life, we break our life, we squander our life, we spend our life on riotous living, as King James says, and we end up with nothing. And it's the mercy of God that lets us realize that we have nothing. But do you see that we've taken our inheritance, the first song, it's his breath in my lungs. And we take that breath to do whatever we want to do. It's like the prodigal son. I want it. It's so 
insulting to the father that will take the gift of life, will take the gift of his breath and will use it to do whatever we want just so we don't have to talk to him. Just so we don't have to submit to him or listen to him. A loving father who wants to lavish the riches of his kingdom on us for eternity. We don't want to talk to him. We don't want to have to submit to him or listen to him. But when you come in and you come back as a son and you say, I realize that I squandered my life and you come back and you say, I need to start going to church again. I need to start doing better. I need to do, I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to do all this stuff. And he's like, forget all that stuff. You just need to be my son. You just need to be my daughter. You come back to me. And then out of overflow of this encounter, man, he brought me to my senses. He covered me in a robe. He given me authority. Now, my response is to his love. And my response is obedience out of love to the Father. Romans 8, 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you've received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God and you will never feel orphaned for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. We can't change our behavior until we know we're sons and daughters. We can't do anything out of religious duty being afraid that we're not gonna be good enough. It's gonna, it, it, it ends in failure. I mean, it just ends in failure. Striving ends in failure. But obedience out of full acceptance, out of an overflow of love, ends in victory and success. I mean, it just does. So quit, let's quit focusing on sitting in a chair and let's make sure we're wearing our robe. We make sure we're wearing our ring and then this stuff will overflow from it. So I want us to look at a couple of things. Third John, verse two. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. I want us to just meditate for just a minute on some truths I pray that in all respects you prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. In Hebrews chapter one, verse one, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the world's who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Heir of all things, upholding all things, by him the worlds were made. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So he's the heir of all things and we're co-heirs with him. 
and he would that we prosper and be in good health in all respects. These are fundamental truths that we have to get into our mind, into our heart. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Matthew 6, the entire chapter there says, don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't wonder what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Look at the lilies in the field and how they're dressed. Look at the sparrows and how he takes care of them. Don't even worry about those things. Don't even worry about tomorrow. In verse 32, he says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Or it says the heathens eagerly seek all these things. Or orphans eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Colossians 1, if you're taking notes, I'm not going to read this, but 1, 13 through 20, says that all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself. So he has everything. Through him, by him, all things are made. We have to realize that. There's nothing that is that wasn't made by him. And he wants us to prosper and be in good health. He wants us to have all things. He wants us to know that all our needs, he wants us to know that our food, our clothing, he wants us to know that we have a heavenly father. That's the reality of our existence as sons and daughters is that our father has the cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything by him. All things were made through him. All things are made and he loves us and wants to provide for us and it's his heart for us that we prosper. In Psalm 50, he tells them, do you think I'm hungry and I need you to sacrifice those bulls for me? Do you think I need anything? He needs nothing from us. God needs nothing from us. He has everything. We're not in this relationship with God in any way to offset his deficiency with our service. Our entire relationship with him is him offsetting the deficiency of our existence with his surplus, overflowing, lavish mercy and grace and riches. Period. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 21, if you're looking at it, it says, if you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time on your stay on earth. And right before that, it says, you shall be holy for I am holy. But I wanted to read that other verse first to tell you who he's addressing. Those that call him 
father should be holy as he's holy. We need to understand this entire concept, what his intention and his purpose for us is to be complete and lacking nothing. That's the entire makeup and setup of this whole thing. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 2, if you want to read the whole thing, it's 1 through 10. We were dead in our offenses and sins. But if you skip on down, he raised us up, verse 6, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. His whole plan is for the ages to come to show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Seated us in heavenly places because he needed people to do things for him. No, he seated us in heavenly places so we would be accessible so that he could lavish on us the riches of his kingdom for eternity. We have to get out of this slave mentality. We have to get out of this, we're, we're, we're giving God something. It's all his. And we're going to wrap it up right here. Romans 10, 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. This says we have to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth to be saved. There has to be a work in our heart and there has to be a declaration with our mouth to be saved. And confess here, Danny Phillips taught me this, homo logio, homo logio, or logio, I don't know exactly which, which way the G is pronounced there, logio or logio, but I know that it's logos. Logos means word, homo means same, to speak the same word, to agree. So we have to, to be saved, we have to believe the same thing, we have to believe what the word says, we have to believe truth, and we have to confess that same truth. We have to come into alignment. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus died on a cross for my sin. Jesus rose again. I have to confess, I have to say the same word, I have to repeat truth, I have to come into alignment with the principles of heaven and the kingdom for it to be applicable to my life. I have to say the same thing. It's not just making up something to say, whatever we want, our own truth, our own thing. The only way the truth can be applicable in our life is if we say the same thing. Exactly the same thing. So he has everything. He wants us to prosper. We are his sons. We are his daughters. It's not my money that I give him. It's his money that he gives me. Come on, let's just keep letting it roll off our tongue. We were good on all the rest of them. He has everything yeah. 
I have nothing. Naked I came into this world. Naked I'll go out. I have nothing. He has everything. It's not what I have. It's what he has. I'm not the one bringing the wealth to the table. He is. I'm also not a slave to gain or earn it. I'm a son who he wants to lavish it upon. I must confess the same word. My activity, my sitting in a chair, does not determine my identity. My identity determines my activity. You know, like parking, you know, go sit in your garage, you don't become a car. You know, just because you boom, boom, make sounds and everything, you still don't become a car. Right? But if you're a car, you're a car. And you can try to put your car at your dinner table and it ain't going to become a human. It's a car, right? We're not going to change. Our activity does not determine our identity. Our identity determines our activity. So 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 8, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Believe it inside, demonstrate it outside. Believe it inside, demonstrate it outside. Let giving flow from your heart. I said this one time, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But how many people know this? A picture is worth a thousand words. Do you know that you can speak in more ways than your mouth? Now, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm definitely not trying to do away with confessing with our mouth anything, but you can demonstrate, what if you're mute? We don't want to get into that, do we? You can demonstrate your faith in a way that is a confession in more ways than your mouth and your tongue. And so we must believe in our mouth, believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. You ever heard this? Put your money where your mouth is. Believe with your heart. Confess with your money where your mouth is. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. I mean, let it flow from your heart. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving. All because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way. That's a lot of everys. He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. You've heard me preach all. What is all in Greek? All. All. You know, I don't know how we take his word and somehow find a way to make it a diminished, lacking lifestyle. Like, I just don't even know. My plan is to lavish on you the riches of the kingdom. That's his plan. And it says that in, in, in Romans 12, you know, what's my reason response? Give him my life so we can prove what his will is. 
Go ahead, just prove it with me. Show everybody what you really want to do in the world. Lavish on me the riches of your kingdom for all of eternity. I'll be your huckleberry. Let it flow from your heart, not from religious duty. So sad that we've got this older brother. I've been doing all the things. I've been doing all the things. I didn't squander it. I did all the things, and I didn't get a goat or a calf or a party. And the dad's like, everything I have is yours. Why didn't you go get a goat and cook it if you want to get a goat and cook it? Like, what's the deal here? Because you were locked up in a slave mindset. I'm doing this stuff to earn something, and then if I do it enough, I'll earn it, and I must have never earned it, and he earned it, and he didn't do anything, man. This merit system, I've lost in, and I'm furious about it. But how could we, how could anyone who's been in a pig pen, and they know, I have absolutely blown this thing. Look at me, man. I've been given this body. I've been given breath. I've been given a mind that's beautiful. I've been given, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by God of heaven and earth. And I have literally found a way To live a life that is destitute for failure. I have absolutely lived a life that has produced no fulfillment, no joy, no peace. I'm completely empty. No one. I can't even eat. Nothing. Nothing. No one would give him. Nothing fulfills me. No relationship gives me anything to eat. No job gives me enough to eat. No car. I'm trying all this stuff with this amazing gift, and I'm using it all for what I want, and it's producing nothing. How could anyone that's been there, and by the grace and mercy of God, his refusal to leave you there, have come to your senses and said, oh my goodness, this is not his intention for me. This is not his plan for me. I'm going back home. And some of us, I've said this, no fault of my parents, the enemy does his work on all of us however he wants to. And we let him. But I, one problem I found is being raised in church you learn to sit before you learn to dress. And that's the worst place to be because you don't even know you're naked. Because you've done so well about sitting and people say, oh, he's sitting. Oh, he's sitting. Proud of you for sitting. Proud of you for not doing this behavior. Proud of you for not doing that behavior. Proud of you for not doing that behavior. No one really gets close enough to see you're naked. No one really gets close enough to see you're not in your right mind. 
They just are impressed with your sitting. Man, I stand up when it's time to stand up. I raise my hands. I sit down. I mean, it's like, when you're up, you're up. When you're down, you're down. When you're only halfway up, you're neither up nor down. Great. Remember Sunday Children's Church? One time, Susan was teaching me in Children's Church, and she told me to sit down or stand up. I don't remember which one. She told me to sit down, I stood up. <laughs> told me to stand up, I'd sit down. And then finally she told me, and, and I did what she said, because she said she was going to send me to my dad in here. <laughs> and I said, I'm sitting down on the outside, <laughs> but I'm still standing up on the inside. <laughs> And a lot of us are doing that. We're standing up on the outside, but we're sitting down on the inside, or vice versa. But look, but if, if we can just, if we've come out of that, and maybe we're on this road, maybe we've been on this road for a long time. It's like the wilderness where we're still rehearsing our slave story. We're still rehearsing our sales pitch to the Lord. We're still rehearsing, you know, how we're going to finally be accepted one day. And we're still on this path of striving and hoping when we get there, he's going to say, come on in because you've done enough. And we're still on that path somewhere. And we've never just learned to embrace it and just let him put that robe on us and that ring. Maybe you're somewhere in that process, but I can't grasp putting that robe on, that ring on, and knowing, okay, look, I mean, like, I have everything. It's not my money I'm giving him. It's his money he's giving me. It's everything. Like, can you imagine once you're in this? Dude, I was just in a pig pen yesterday. Now I'm in a robe. I got a ring. Like, he wouldn't let me even be a slave. He told me I'm his son. Like, this is crazy. And the father wakes up the next morning. He says, hey, son, you mind? Taking the trash out. What do you think the son would say? Same thing I think the church would say. But they don't for some reason. Probably because they're still over here or they're the older brother or something, but we're just not. The earth is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters. That understand they have a father and understand that he has everything. I have nothing, but he gives it all to me. He never has to beg me for anything. He never has to plead with me for anything. He never has to pry anything out of my cold, dead hand. Dad, I can't think of one thing I would rather do this fine morning did to get up with my robe on, my sandals on, my slippers on, my ring on, and take your trash outside. Matter of fact, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do than when I get done taking that trash, I'd love to wash your truck. Would that be okay? 
Not out of striving, not out of slavery, just out of overflow of gratitude because I once was dead. I once was in a pen. I once had no idea. I once had taken the, taken the very gift, the priceless gift you gave me, and I squandered it. <laughs> and not only did you let me come back and you let me live and you fed me and you took care of me, you refused to let me earn it. He refused to let me earn it. Paid for it all, and here I am. And I just want to tell you today, like, I never want another dollar in my pocket the rest of my life. That's mine. I never want the enemy to try to come to me I was going to go somewhere else. We're over my overtime. <laughs> Jesus, when he's tempted in the wilderness, he answers with the word, but the temptation was, are you a son of God? And he used some words from the word, but the main answer he did was, I am a son. Because he went into the wilderness with the father making declaration over him that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, armed with the revelation, armed with the power of the voice of God, saying he's your son. That's your real weapon. You can use different scriptures, but the real weapon is I am a son. And the real weapon is I don't even have any money. You can't tip me to squander my money because I don't even have any of money because it's his money. I just ask for him for what I need and he gives me what I need. It's not even mine. It's like the leaven that leavens the whole lump. We see that in scripture used negative and positive. So it's just a reality that a little can change the whole concept And it's the mercy of God that he allows. And John told you last week, tithe predates the law. Tithe is not the law. Tithe is an overflow of gratitude from Abraham hundreds of years before the law. And we've decided, like the older brother, because I'm upset, because I'm frustrated, because I'm still trying to earn everything, I've got to try to find as less, few things that, I need to find more things I can get out of doing because I'm exhausted. So if I can still get approval and do less stuff, I'm going to find a loophole to do it. We're bartering with God on what we have to do. It's ridiculous. I refuse. I refuse. I will confess with my money. I will believe in my heart and confess with my money that it's all his. And I'll do that by changing everything I have by putting his name on a tithe. This is yours because it's all yours. And I'm so thankful that you would allow me and trust to me this 90%. And man, I don't preach a tenth because... Who wants to tithe a tenth? Tithe's 20, 30, 40, 50. I know people that live off of 10 and tithe 90. How would you like for your tenth to be enough to live off of? 
Hey, man, it's, God does crazy things when it's all his, and we understand that. He can do crazy things with it. But when we think it's ours, he's limited in what he could do because we'll get pride about it and we'll boast about it. But when we know it's all his and we're just living off of it, he could get a lot more creative in our finances. A lot more. But I refuse to. There's going to be a portion that I'm going to let that leaven that's his change the name. I'm going to change the name on my bank accounts to his name by making sure I take the first. He will have first place in everything. It's yours and I want to declare it's yours and I won't spend a dime of it until I define it. Won't spend a dime until I define it. Honestly, all the years we've been married, all the years that we've been given everything, last year when we did Thanksgiving, I never cared about when I tithe. It didn't matter. I mean, you know, I'm purposing my heart. I'm not going to not pay my tithe. I'm going to pay it, you know. And I'm not going to spend all my money and then it's not enough. I'm going to make sure it's still there. But man, that revelation of him being first and preeminent and everything, when we put an increase into our account, I don't care if Shahan's in one place and I'm in another place and I'm paying bills and she's making a deposit, I will say, let me know when it's done. I don't even want them to cross in the mail. I don't want them to cross on the internet. I don't want them to cross anyway. And it has nothing to do with any type of law. I want to define it before I spend it. It's his. Every bit of it is his. I want to spend his money, not my money. I want to be a son and not a slave. I don't want anything for myself. I want it all to be his. And that's a really simple way to do it. He's given us a really simple way to give the Lord his and name the rest of ours his. Stand with me. So I don't know where you are in the process. Maybe you're in a pig pen. Maybe you're on the way home. Maybe you've been on the way home for a long time. <laughs> if they're in the pig pen today, Lord, I pray that you would let us come to our senses. And I don't just mean in a pig pen like we're living some sinful, awful life. I'm talking about depravity of choices that cause us to be in a place of lack in certain areas of our life that you mean for us to prosper in because you said you want us to prosper in all respects. So, I mean, I feel like you can live in different places in different subcategories of your life. Oh, man, I really believe God in this area of my life, and I confess the same thing His Word says about this area of my life, and I confess the same thing about what His Word says in this area of my life, but then there's other areas of our life that we're living in a pig pen. And we're oblivious to it, and there's other areas of our life that we're still striving, and we're trying to impress, and then there's other areas of our life we're, we're upset because somebody else didn't do enough. I mean, we're on this spectrum, like just everywhere. He just wants us to be holy. That's all. <laughs> just complete and lacking nothing. Those that call him father, he just wants it to, he just wants us to get it in our heart that he wants us to be holy. Where he's our father, he has everything. There's no excuse for not having everything. We have everything. His heart is to give us everything. 
It's his pleasure to give us the kingdom. So Lord, wherever we are today, would you let us come to our senses? Would you just break through right now? Every lying spirit that made us ask for our inheritance to leave and do what we want to with it. I pray that you would just, by your mercy right now, just show us, man, this is a bad choice. This is a bad decision. Before the famine, before the pigs, because of your mercy, would you not even let us get to the famine or get to the pigs? Would you just break through right now by your Holy Spirit and let us come to our senses? Would you give us a revelation of sonship? Would you give us a revelation of wealth, kingdom purpose, overflow? So that we wouldn't find ourselves like the older brother just debating and fighting over a goat or a calf. But we'll realize we had it all the entire time. The enemy just lied and made us think we had to self-preserve and strive. Just bring transformation to us into sons and daughters. Make us sons, make us daughters. So that we would love to sit, we would love to stand, we would love to obey. We'd love to give. We'd refuse. We would refuse. We would refuse to let the enemy redefine what's really going on and make us think we have something that God wants. enemy of our soul has blinded our minds, but we just ask right now that you would let us come to our minds, come to our senses. Let us see the truth about what you want for us in all respects, in every area. Let us receive an invitation today. Let us get a glimpse of a promise today. Let us realize potential of this life you've given us of the resources you've entrusted us with. Let us just see, let us begin to get a glimpse of the possibilities of a life totally, totally and fully surrendered to you because it's yours, it's all your breath in our lungs, it's your money in our pocket, it's your strength in our bodies that can cause us to make a dollar, a dime, a penny. We did nothing to earn in our mother's womb anything that we have that gives us the ability to gain wealth on this planet. Everything, 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 everything. Guys, I just told you earlier, everything and every good work and every and every, his promises and his purposes for us is to give us everything, but it comes from the realization that he has everything. If you think you've already got everything, he can't give you everything. 
So today, would you just unlock in this place? Would you unlock in this place? Truth. Truth. Flesh and blood can't reveal it to us, but you can reveal it to us. Truth that would cause us to be radical, radical, radical obeyers. Generous, generous, hilarious, hilarious givers. Let me say one thing. Sometimes we think we're being generous. I told them this in first service and I don't want to miss you guys on it. You can't be generous with your God's money that you're calling your own money. You understand? If we're not redefining what we have, if we won't tithe and if we won't concede, if we won't confess that everything we have is His and redefine it, generosity starts after it's His and He lets you use it. But there's, it's not generous if we're, you know, when, when I was in college, the main thing in Cleveland to do was to go to Old Charlie's and my friends that worked there, they could only serve certain things that they didn't have to ring up and it was salad and breadsticks. So we would go there and get the little rolls. I mean, we'd get rolls and a salad. And my generous friends would serve us rolls and salad that nobody paid for except for the owner of the Old Charlie's. They're not generous, they're thieves. If they were generous, they could take their check that they made from O'Charlie's and they could go and they could buy me bread and salad from O'Charlie's. See what I'm saying? We can't take the resources of heaven, give it to other people while calling it our own. It was not ours to give. We're stealing it before we're giving it. So generosity starts after we've said it's his. We've given him tithe. We've given him that. Then offerings come. Prayer team, if you'll come. I've already prayed over everybody. I'm believing we're receiving. But just like we said earlier in our prayer time, and I, I, if it kills me, we're going we're gonna to have a house that functions this way. If you need prayer or agreement, these folks are here. If you don't need prayer or agreement, these folks need to pray. So you can receive or you can give, but either way, come and get prayed for. All right? Because this is a house of prayer. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. One has a word, one has a gift, one has this, one has this. We're not functioning as the body of Christ, the ecclesia, if one guy has a word and everyone listens, one person has a song and we sing some of it. Let's function. So this is an opportunity. If you would like prayer agreement, Come and receive it. If you don't, they would like prayer or agreement. So come and pray for them. Be the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, we love you. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Redemption Life Church.